You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, everybody. Um, it's good to continue God's the study of God's Word through the book of Philippians. And hopefully you have a Bible or you've got a little Bible open or you follow along with us because we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We're actually into chapter 2 now. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find just an amazing teaching about unity that precedes what really is going to be an amazing, amazing teaching about theology that's coming up. But the teaching about unity actually builds towards the teaching about theology. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, I really want to encourage you to go back the last few weeks and take the time to review. And you can always watch these messages or listen from until it from Calvary. You can uh, listen to the downloads or online, uh, and it's at the webpage, Facebook page, and more. So we want you to follow along with us. But for now, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And what I want to talk about today is that unity is not a commodity. And so here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And we'll go on from there. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, right? So here's the, 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 the backdrop that we have going on here, right? There's, and this, is, this passage is kind of a preacher's dream because of how it sort of lays things out. Uh, and we'll go through this and we'll look through how it, how it does lay it out for us. Um, but the passage is, um, is powerful in many ways, not the least of which is its incredible clarity and teaching on unity. And for me, this is such a, this is like my life here because Donna, Donna's my wife, and I'm planning to bring her in as we gather together, uh, hopefully in person soon, and you'll have the privilege of meeting Donna. But Donna and I are very different. Uh, we have different personalities. We have, you know, people, you know, take those tests, those personality tests. We are, I don't know, if there could be two more different people, it would be Donna Stetzer and Ed Stetzer. And that's a great blessing at times, and not always, though. When we were in high school, we're actually, we were high school sweethearts, we had, uh, they took these tests, you know, kind of like, I guess now people do this online dating, but we actually filled out this, um, this pencil fill in the bubble fill in thing and the scantron sheets and we filled it out. And so what I did, and I told her this later, so, but I, I must confess, I took a while to confess this truth is we actually, I filled, I got her to fill her for her to fill hers out. And then I took hers and full confession here, just getting honest. Um, I actually copied most of her answers, not all of them, because that would be too obvious that we were 100% compatible, but we were like the highest compatible people in the whole high school who did this. And by then, by then we were already dating, and I told her before we got married, and, but the we were not that compatible. And that's uh, both a wonderful thing and a challenging thing because it's our common goal that keeps us together. So Donna actually saved all of our high school memorabilia, which I will tell you is remarkably embarrassing to read your letters that she saved. 
But one of the things she saved is I gave her a $2 bill once, which I know sounds strange, but back when we were in the, you know, high school age, one of the big songs was a song called love song for number two. And our theme was, you're the second most important in my life. You're number two to me. You'll always be number two to me, which sounds strange until you know that, you know, the point is that Jesus is number one in my life. That's the song love song for number two, which uh, you can Google that if you're, if you're interested, it'll, it'll change your life. But, um, so for, for us, what brought and brings us together, the thing that um, attracted me to Donna uh, is, is her deep commitment to the Lord. So now, of course, we're, we know each other well. It makes it easier to be united. But that's what brings us together. And this is so important, too, because here we are in a time when our nation is remarkably divided. Probably not the most divided ever, right? You study the Civil War. But for many, it's the most divided in our lifetime. And the question is, how do we pursue unity as a church in a time when society is so remarkably divided? Um, and Paul exhorts the church at Philippi, this motley team, and he exhorts us today to see unity not as a commodity that we can take or leave, but as critical to our life and our witness. It's not a commodity we can take or leave, but it's critical to our life and witness for Paul disunity was a serious threat to the church. So let's jump in. We're going to look at several things today that I think can really help shape our understanding of biblical unity, and we'll walk through these together. First, the foundation for unity is humility. Verse 1, right? So let's take a look at verse 1 and uh, walk through that together. The foundation for unity is humility. Here's what it says in verse 1. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, the word so, it's uh, therefore, it says in some versions, connects us to verse 27, which is also on unity. And it, he's, 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 he's pleading, we're going to see this later in the next couple of weeks. He's, he's pleading, This is Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. It's as if he is pleading, whatever else may happen, my friends, don't let a selfish attitude sneak in like a thief and steal your joy or interrupt your closeness. So this is really key because unity does not come from liking one another. Um, it doesn't come from good strategy. It doesn't come from great preaching or a charismatic leader. Unity does not come naturally. But in a church, because um, we'll always find a reason not to like one another, right? You, um, in the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, he talks about how the older demon is sowing and encouraging the younger one to tempt people by just having them see each other in church or maybe on Zoom. They didn't have Zoom then, but, but to say, well, that person irritates me. That person gets on my nerves. Can I just tell you, we have a million reasons to not be united, but one reason that does unite us. Unity is a reflection of core spiritual values, and it can only come from Jesus. Unity is not, of course, uniformity. There's, I mean, that's the great thing about Calvary, right? If you're a guest and maybe you're watching, Calvary is a church for people from all different kinds of nations, all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of languages. We're a multicultural, multi-ethnic urban church across all the boroughs, bringing people together whose unity is not based upon uh, common things we like in food or common things we like in culture, but our unity is based upon the fact that God in Christ has redeemed us and put us in a family together. That's an amazing kind of unity, right? So, um, and, and people, this becomes really tested right now, doesn't it? I mean, when we're heading into a political season and someone says, well, if um, you're a Christian, you can't vote for blank. 
I'm alienating some people. And someone else says, well, if you're a Christian, you can't vote for blank. And what I want to say to you is, is that our strongly held opinions, and, and we all have strongly held opinions, particularly uh, in politics and the world in which we live today, our strongly held opinions cannot overwhelm our unity in Christ. I can imagine that there will be people at Calvary who will vote different directions in this upcoming election for different reasons and different calculations as they think these things through. And you, some people might say, well, I just don't understand how anybody could disagree with me on this decision. And what I want to say with you is that's where humility is necessary. Paul expresses the believer's humility that maybe you could be united in something greater than whatever your thought is upon. I, I talk about politics, but it could be a million different things. Um, may, may, maybe, Paul says, instead, there'll be four phrases that remind us humbly of the blessings of Christian community, right? So let's take a look at them first. Encouragement in Christ. The if uh, does not mean it's um, hypothetical. We tend to use that way in English. But Paul states things are abundantly true in what is actually called a first-class conditional framework. It's assumed to be true. So that's why some translations say since. It's kind of a rhetorical device. So Paul's not doubting if it's true. He's saying that the when the condition, when this is here, since this is here, the conclusion should also be present. So he says if or since, but if there's any encouragement in Christ is how it's worded in the English Standard Version, which is a, tends to be a more literal translation. And, um, and whereas maybe get a little help with the translator if they said since, but encouragement comes from the term that means to come alongside, um, same word, actually paraclete, same word as used for the Holy Spirit, same term used to describe Barnabas, in Acts 4.36, the son of encouragement. So one who comes alongside. Our identity flows from who Jesus is. We're called alongside of Christ, his identity, his character. So unity comes from being, fo- being found as a follower of Jesus. So that's why at Calvary, we can have people who have um, this language, this culture, this socioeconomic level uh, background, and yet in Christ which, by the way, is Paul's most frequent way of identifying Christians. In Christ, we're united there. And I will tell you this, um, and I recognize that we're not all in one big marriage, but I will tell you that's how for Nana and me, our marriage thrives because we're in Christ. Uh, There's actually, Plato talks about this, um, about uh, we hear the term platonic love, right? And that means something different to us today, but what it meant then was that there would be two people with different interests, you know, person here and person here. So maybe Ed and Donna. Um, and the reason we grow closer together is we're growing towards a common goal. Whatever that common goal is, right, we're growing towards one another because of that common goal. And so it is with Calvary. So it is with every church filled with followers of Jesus who are moving toward Jesus. They're moving toward one another. There's no greater encouragement for the Christian than to be in Christ. But as we're in Christ, moving towards him, we're moving towards one another. Now, I know we're online, but this will be an opportunity if you write amen somewhere in the notes. Because when we get the, the fullness of that, right, we get the beauty of that, then we understand our unity is not based on our commonality. It's not a commodity. It's actually something that comes and is rooted in who we are as followers of Jesus. Think of Romans 15, 5 and 6. It says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus, right? Because he comes alongside, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Don't So don't miss that. So that's the starting point of this beautiful encouragement in Christ. But it doesn't end there, right? There's so much richness in the expressions of humility that are here. The next one is comfort that comes from love. And comfort means comes from uh, two words that mean to speak closely to someone. So picture a, a dear loved one coming to hug and comfort with the words of grace. And so when we see that, right, what, what it tells us is that there's a comfort. So that comfort then becomes real in our lives. And it's, it's if you will, it's, it's this idea, this comfort from love, the word is agape in the original language. Unity comes when we have this action of comfort this uh, tender caring for one another and unity comes from sacrificing our lives for another. And this is, you'd expect this, right? Comfort from love. Think of first Corinthians 13, one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol, right? So this comfort comes, this comfort in community comes because of love in love for one another. And in the process, we're actually going to advance together for the cause of Christ uh, and the gospel. Okay, so so we're walking through these descriptions that Paul uses. And the third one is participation in spirit, right? So, so again, these come, I mean, it's kind of a preacher's dream the way Paul has written this part. As any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit. Now, I want us not to miss this. I don't want to slow down here because I've been walking pretty quickly through these. But the Holy Spirit himself, supernaturally and personally, indwelling us and forming our character to be like Jesus. So participation is, uh, is actually the word koinonia, often translated fellowship. But, and some, and some translations will say the fellowship of the Spirit. But it has this idea of this mutual partnership, right? So it's participation in the spirit, participating in partnership with one another in the spirit, because unity comes from the Holy Spirit himself, from the Holy Spirit himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, now that my daughter's a singer, uh, and I say she's a singer, not just to want to be singer, because she's in college, but she's going to be a singer on Broadway one day, or the Met, or something significant like that. But if you ever hear an acapella choir singing in beautiful harmony, it actually often happens when someone blows a pitch pipe, uh, you know, to set the key for the song, the choir will sing. The spirit keeps the church in tune like that. He, if you will, is the pitch pipe. So I, I play bad guitar. Like I might, you know, pick up once a few, every few years and play a little guitar. And I can tune the guitar to itself. Right, So I can tune it. If you hit this string, you can tune it to the next string. It becomes internally tuned. But when I get with other people who may be playing a piano or an organ or some other instruments, and they're not tuned to the same frequency, we actually can be internally tuned, but not communally tuned. And what I want to say is, this is why the Christian life is not a solo effort. Your job is not to get at peace with yourself. I mean, I want you to walk in that kind of peace, but here's what I want you not to miss, right? You need to be 
in community with other people, right? That's participation in the spirit that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God is that, that, that pitch pipe that sets the frequency so that we can be tuned in community to one another. Second um, Timothy one talks about this, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the Holy Spirit, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So beautiful language here, right? Beautiful language. So the fourth thing under this first point is, as remember, as Paul's going through, he's, he's laying these things out for us little by little, bit by bit. And it says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Puts those together, right? Any affection and sympathy. So let's look at those, right? And this is care for one another, not waiting on others to come to us, but moving towards one another and moving towards one another in this unity and this commonality and this desire to care for one another. So, and the, the picture here is unity literally comes from having an affection and a sympathy and caring for one another. Now, again, I really want to encourage you here too. Don't wait to others to come to you. Now, there may be times when we're all in a uniquely challenging time and we need others to come to us. But what I want you to say, what I, what, I want, what I want to say and what I don't want you to miss is that this is our call, right? Look at Romans 12.10. It says, love one another with a brotherly affection, right? Brother or sister, a family affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What if throughout Calvary and the Church of Jesus Christ everywhere, God's people were consistently asking, how can we uh, love one another with brotherly affection? I love that. I, I love doing that. I love speaking to my sisters and brothers in Christ and saying, how can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? And I love when people share that because this, these approaches result in a deeper and a quite beautiful and God-honoring sense of unity that transcends the things that divide us. Now, we may have significant differences, right? But in Christ, we're one. And in these ways, remember, number one, the foundation for unity is humility. How? Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, which leads to number two on our outline. The fulfillment of unity is joy. Now, I bet, unfortunately, that if I were to ask you to uh, raise your hands and I were to say, how many of you have been hurt in church? Uh, if you've been in church any amount of time, you'd say you. Now, here's the thing I want to say to you. If I were to ask you how many have been hurt in your family, those hands would come up too. Because that's part of being in community is that you risk and you're vulnerable and people hurt you. It's easier to do by yourself, but then you can't be tuned with others, you can't be working towards that unity that comes from growing in our faith and growing towards Christ. But the fulfillment of unity is actually joy, right? So that's what Paul wants. Paul doesn't want churches with people who are um, hurting one another. So he says, he writes, fulfill my joy by, we'll get to that in just a minute. But he's like, no, no, he's like, there's, a, there's an urgency even in the command. Um, do it now in the original language. It's uh, fill, fill my joy, fill my cup with joy, right? 
And Paul has already expressed joy uh, to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 3, that he's not done. Uh, Joy is one of the themes woven throughout, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. We know that's coming and we'll get to that. Well, I don't even know where we're going to get to that. We've got a ways to go before Philippians 4, uh, but we're going to get there. But he exhorts the church to greater action so his joy might be fulfilled. He's calling them to fill it up to the brim and overflow with unity, joy that comes from knowing Christ and being in community, joy that rises above the circumstances. We'll, we'll work in unity when we relate to one another in joy, and being united will fulfill Paul's and our joy. I love that. Now, it's kind of interesting, a few points here, right? In 3 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, I don't think I've ever preached through 3 John. It says this, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So the joy in 1 John is expressed by people coming together and testifying and walking in the truth together. My children, not my child, my children are walking in the truth. So there's a sense of joy that Paul spoke of 2,000 years later that today you and I can have as we see Calvary walking together in joy, even in hard times. Notice in James 1-2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. Not my brother, not individually, but us together. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Because I can have that joy when I'm in unity with others who are walking through those hard times together. I can have and walk in that joy because I'm doing it in community with other people. So the right priorities of unity actually result in the right results of unity, right? I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss that, right? Um, after the service today, Sean and I are going to have some dialogue and uh, we'll share a little bit. I want you to come. You'll, 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 maybe you'll enjoy this uh, because we both have an Irish heritage, though his you can probably hear more in his name than mine. My, I have this, uh, this Dutch ancestor who kind of gave us this name, but we were very much raised that we were Irish with uh, the wrong last name. And, but Sean Quinlan has the right last name. You can Google that and you'll see some of that history. But one of my favorite books is a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. Now, again, I think God is uh, at work in all different cultures and contexts, but just for this one, it fits some of the illustration. It's the title of the book. It's actually by Thomas Cahill. It's How the Irish Saved Civilization, the untold story of Ireland's heroic role from the fall of Rome to the rise of the medieval empire. So you'll hear Sean and I talk about it a little bit uh, after the service. If you'll join us, you get that Zoom information is, uh, is just right there. And it's also be on Facebook Live. By the way, if you're watching on Facebook Live, uh, first of all, we always want to encourage you to head on over to the uh, to our church's platform. It's got a little more interactivity. But can I also encourage you to click like and share before you do? Let folks know. And uh, if you're watching this later, click like and share. Okay, so the, this book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, it actually, it actually talks about more than than what I want to talk about here. But because what happens is, you know, these these uh, tribes sort of come through Europe and they overthrow the Roman Empire. People like the uh, the Visigoths, uh, the Franks and others. And the book tells the story of the collapse of the Roman Empire. But the, the key is, is the role of the clergy and missionaries at this time, right? So 
I'm actually in a couple of years from now planning to be uh, trace some of this in well when we're allowed to travel again in the uh, what's now uh, Ireland and the UK. Uh, but it's interesting. So what happens is the story is told that what happened is is that the Irish and there be names that you might not know, but Columba and Columban, uh, they were missionaries who. After Europe sort of fell, the continent of Europe sort of fell to the tribes, um, invading tribes, and Christianity was, um, so much of it was lost. And again, they talk about more Christianity, but of course my interest is the faith. And what happened is they would send out groups of people who would go, a place called Iona in particular, and they would send out groups of missionaries who would live in community together. And having lived in community together, they would actually go into a place. They would go up rivers in Europe, right? They'd go up the the Rhine. They would go up other things. And they would reestablish gospel work, sometimes losing their lives in the process, but certainly facing peril and danger. But they did it together. In other words, it wasn't the solitary lone missionary. They would send out groups together. And in doing so, they would be a community on mission. It'd be like an embassy of the kingdom of God, right? If we're ambassadors, like Paul calls himself, then we're establishing an embassy. And they would go out as church planners. They wouldn't use that language, but they would go out and, you know, Cahill would focus on how they save civilization because they save the books. And, and that's great. But for me, when I read that book, I see gospel missionaries spreading the gospel again across and through Europe. And in doing so, Cahill would say save civilization. Again, overstated, but that's what book titles do. Um, I imagine that that would have fulfilled Paul's joy, a group of people in community on mission in the midst of a really challenging time. Can I say to you that that's Calvary today, a group of people on mission in community in a challenging time. Let me say it again, a group of people on mission in community in a challenging time. That's us. That's the journey we're on. And we're not done. We're going to walk through this together. I'm thrilled to do this with you as part of this team. We're going to walk through this together, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. And I believe that God's going to use across the boroughs this good news of the gospel that's shared through God's people in unity, which leads us to number three. And uh, we need to we need to wrap up for sure. Number three on our outline is the focus of unity is clear, being of the same mind. So number three, the focus of unity is clear, and that's being, or it's literally continually being of the same mind, which, by the way, just so you know how often this is mentioned, Paul uses it in Philippians 1, 7, 2, 2, 2, 5, 3, 15, 3, 19, 4, 2, and 4, 10. Um, now, why? Because first of all, it's, it's 10 times, right? Depending how you count in Philippians, 23 times Paul used it here. But clearly, as we walk through the book of Philippians, the Lord is using this to make sure we are united together on mission in the midst of challenging times. So it's not that, again, you can look at, across in this after the service and the Zoom conversation, and you'll see that we don't all look alike. All different kinds of people, age and ethnicity and race and background and socioeconomics. But here's the beautiful thing. We believe that together we're on this journey. And the focus of unity is clear, being of the same mind, right? 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind 
and same judgment. It doesn't mean we all think the same. Being united in the same mind means that we have the mind of Christ. Moving towards Christ means moving toward one another. So it says, right, this is the second part of verse 2. Uh, so it says, if you look closely, uh, first, that we're to actually do this by being of the same mind, right? And then, being the same mind, then, are you ready? Having the same love. Having the same love. That's what gets us through, right? We're being of the same mind because we're pursuing the mind of Christ, but we're having the same love because the love of Christ draws us together and sends us on mission. So again, second part of verse two, being of the same mind, then having the same love. And that love is expressed in 1 Corinthians 13. Again, love's patient. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Well, that's what a church should look like. It doesn't insist on its own way. Imagine if the church wasn't filled with people who were ready to go to battle. Churches all around the world over their own preferences. It says it's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I know we read that passage at weddings, and I would just say to you, it's not about a wedding. It's about a community of people, right? So again, let's look. We're walking through the second part of verse two, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, full accord, um, spiritual soulmates, if you will, right? So, and I will tell you, it was interesting because I just got a phone with uh, someone I led to the Lord 20-something years ago and baptized 20-something years ago. And we talk every few years, but there's just a connection that remains with us because we're in full accord. Um, we're, we're spiritually connected, and that makes all the difference. I need to wrap this up or I'll, I, I get kind of passionate, so forgive me. Lastly, you know, we've gone through this verse, second part of verse 2, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Literally, this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, the second part of it, final part of it. It literally means to continually set your mind on the same purpose. Continually set your mind on the same purpose. And I mentioned earlier about music being tuned together. You ever go into a musical performance, maybe a symphony, and you know, at the beginning, the orchestra sounds like they're much less harmonious. They're tuning up. And the conductor raises the baton, guides him into the first song. There's suddenly this remarkable and beautiful harmony. This is the church. We have to tune up at times. But we should be continuously coming together in one song of one mind with one purpose. Now, notice here how the four aspects of the foundation in verse 1 relate to the focus Paul calls us to in verse 2, right? I don't think that's unintentional. Um, look at it here. You can see it on the screen. There's encouragement in Christ, so be of the same mind. There's comfort and love, so have the same love. There's participation in the Spirit, so be in full accord. There's affection and sympathy, so be of one mind. Can I tell you, temporary priorities result in temporary unity. You know, I don't know about you, but I, it was interesting to watch uh, after, um, of course, 9-11. We all remember that day, but everyone sort of tweeted or posted on Facebook or on social media, like, the unity we used to have on 9-12 after the 9-11 attacks. And the whole nation came together, but we didn't stay long because the unity was based on temporary priorities and didn't really deal with some of the deeper issues. Well, that's the difference. Spiritual priorities result in permanent unity. Let me say it again. Spiritual priorities 
result in permanent unity. So when everything else is kind of divided and broken right now, the church's common purpose, you know, joining Jesus on his mission, our common marching orders, the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples of all nations, our common community to worship the Lord together, to participate in the Lord's Supper and baptism, marking who we are as a community. It's to unite us through thick and thin. So when something else is more important than unity, um, and there will be times when if there's doctrinal error or if there's some, we, could, we don't go through all those things. I'm not saying unity is the only thing that matters and we would avoid everything else. But I'll tell you, having married someone who's remarkably different than me, even after I told her that I faked the compatibility test, having married someone who's remarkably different than me, the thing that brings us together is we're still pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what unites us. Can I tell you, we got a church full of very different people at Calvary, different backgrounds, different cultures, different a hundred ways. This unity of Christ that will draw us together, keep us together, keep us focused. Now that takes all of our effort. Don't, don't just hear this and say, yeah, I hope somebody is united. I hope someone lives in unity. But I want you, as we close, for you to personally take the responsibility and say, I'm going to walk in that kind of biblical unity. I'm going to put others before myself. I'm going to live the kind of truth that Paul writes about here. So let me remind you, any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. That's us. That's your call. And that's my call. And when that happens, the world sees and ultimately the mission advances. Would you pray with me? And let's particularly ask the Lord in his grace and goodness to put on our hearts how we might work for greater unity in Calvary and beyond. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this wouldn't be a message we nod and say, amen. I hope somebody hears it. But Lord, I pray this would be the kind of message that we ask. How might we grow towards greater unity? How might we walk towards Christ together? Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, could you just take just a moment and ask the Lord that very question? How might I, you ask it, how might I build towards greater unity at Calvary? Just take just a moment and do that. While others are praying, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you keep praying. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to respond by grace and through faith, to share with us that you have, or questions that you might have, but to receive and to become, receive Christ and become part of this family, this imperfect but growing community, growing towards Christ together. Father, I pray for those who don't know you, that they might be prompted by your Holy Spirit to respond by grace and through faith. And I pray for those of us who do know you, that we might grow in unity and grace. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.